Today on the Views from the Deck Chair podcast, I welcome one of the busiest people in the hospitality industry, Steve Lowy. First and foremost, he is a fantastic fella. He truly is an industry man. He lays all his cards on the table. You can understand his journey into the industry, why he's so passionate about championing youth travel, some cracking stories as a hotelier, how independents can compete against the big chains with technology, what takes a hotel from good to great, and much more. I'm sure it would take a lot from what he has to say. I really appreciate his honesty and enthusiasm. I hope you enjoy. Welcome. Today, Views from the Deck Chair, we've got Steve Lowy sitting next to me in the deck chair, coming for a chat. Um, Steve, you are the absolute living proof that men can do more than two things at once. <laughs> I don't know, my, my wife may uh, have a different opinion, but yeah, yes. Well, at least out of the household, Yeah, yeah. Um, which is good. But um, Matt, you're the CEO of Anglo Educational Services. Yep, you can have you sip a, a beer, this might take a while. Um, founder and director of UMI Digital, you're the chairman of the British Educational Travel Association, the chairman of the Hotel Marketing Association, you're the member of the board at the Tourism Alliance, you're the non-executive executive director and advisor to fly to, uh, you're a member of Toposophy's team of international associates, you're originally trained as a chef, um, you've owned UMI hotels in Brighton, London and Moscow, you're a serial speaker, moderator, lecturer, anything I'm missing? Is that pretty good I support, CV? I support Liverpool. Yeah. And yeah. I can make a very good omelette in under 20 seconds. Okay, that's pretty good, mate. That's pretty yeah. good. That's something to, to <laughs> boast about. Um, that's not on your LinkedIn profile. No, just in case. Uh, so, um, mate, let's take you back to the uh, early days of Steve Lowe. Yep. Uh, you're kind of expecting me to bring someone in from your uh, family. Yeah. This is this Steve Lowe. This, this is, is your, your life. life. <laughs> yeah, God, oh, no. <laughs> mate. Oh, that ske- could be terribly wrong. Lots yeah. of skeletons in Notes. the closet there. Mate, I am um, coming from Australia. Yeah. I've been over here for a few years, and I, uh, I think besides Hogwarts, which was fictional, yep. you possibly went to the most English-sounding school that yes. I've ever, ever heard of. Yeah. Um, Haberdashers asks is that his yep. boys' school. Yeah. Now it's not even just English that, but when you look at the actual history of it, yes. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it was founded in 1689, which is about 100 odd years before our country even got discovered. In Hoxton as well. In Hoxton? Yeah. Jesus, if they yeah, held yeah. on to that. Yeah. Well, they did, I suppose. Now a communal workspace, no. Um, it was founded by a royal charter, grounded to the worshipful, worshipful company of haberdashers. Yeah, we were called Habs. Habs? Yeah. Oh, mate, that was for sure. Tell me about. Is that where you, is that where you're from, London? Is that yeah? Where you yeah I'm originally from London. Uh, I actually got into Habs when I was six. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was it's an amazing school. I mean, we were number three in the country for A-level results. Yeah. Uh, I was in the bottom five percent. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're laughing now. <laughs> you can say no <laughs> surprise like, there. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going. Oh, I can identify with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, from a sporty opportunity, I, I was. Uh, played fairly competitive water polo and yep. uh, we were national champions and actually went at 16 to Australia and New Zealand, hence my amazing Australian yeah, accent yeah, mate, yeah, yeah, uh, and at the age of 16 to travel without your parents around Australia and New Zealand, we'll you couldn't get further away, yeah, yeah, yeah. played in the Olympic swimming pool before the Olympics, played against New Zealand in, in Wellington, it was, it was just an amazing experience. 50 well, metre swimming pool yeah, was yeah, a big deal for It was a big, big deal. <laughs> With no shallow end, <laughs> yeah. um, but no, it was it was a, it was a wonderful school. Funny enough, there's 
some fairly famous alumni that come from it. Is it? Matt Lucas was my prefect, oh, uh, Little right? Britain, yeah, uh, yeah, Sasha yeah. Baron Cohen, Ali G went wow. there. And more recently, the owners of Hawksmoor, so from a hospitality, but they okay, went to yeah, they, yeah. a couple of them went to Habs. Um, the guys who own uh, Trishna, uh, really famous Indian restaurant, they went there. Block Hotels was yep. the guy who went to Habs. Is that right? So I think although it's traditionally at six years old, you were told, do you want to be a lawyer, a doctor, a accountant? Um, that was the place to go. Isn't 35% of people go on to Oxford or Cambridge? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I wanted to be a chef. And I, yeah. if it wasn't a footballer, it was a chef. And I had a lot of good mates. I still have a lot of good mates there. But it was, I just wasn't that academic. And I yeah. found a very, GCSEs were fairly easy. Yep. I ended up with 14 GCSEs. You did your first one when you were 14, perhaps. But actually, A-levels, I really, really struggled, and my parents uh, went through a divorce at the same time. I just found it, just found it really difficult. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, when I went to university afterwards, they found out I was dyslexic, which helped me not feel so stupid. Yep. Uh, when you're surrounded by um, super, super intellectual people, and some really good mates of mine got three A's, four A's in their A-levels, you know, and they weren't the super geeks. They're just super smart people, yeah, 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 yeah. just really cool, smart people. Yep that um, it was one of those things I just felt personally quite shit about things because okay. I was just like just, just don't get it yep. so it's not a good memory uh, the, la- the, last couple, the last couple of years were tough right. um, but I, I, I've still got lifelong mates and, and you know the opportunities I had there were I wouldn't have got anywhere else yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah even some of the teachers are, are, were very supportive I just wasn't I wasn't a traditional house boy. And you know, some of the guys who've gone on to do um, you know, great things in hospitality were really smart. They just yeah, decided yeah, yeah. to go down a different path. I just I just found that pure acad- academia really tough. Uh-huh. So I would have I would imagine that would be quite a competitive environment away from the academia. So in some ways you've in well, many ways you've embraced that in your well, I think your the, business life. The organization you, you learn from yeah. that, um, the toughness, uh-huh. you know, um, there was unfortunately kids who found it far too tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like to try and always look at the positive on things, and that's what we yeah. I did. <laughs> that's how I got through it basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think organisation was massive, uh-huh. as in doing a number of things at the same time. So if you played water polo, it was a third tier sport. Yep. So we would play seven pm to ten pm all around London. Have to do your homework on a train or a bus. Uh-huh. Um, I always played football for the school. Yep. Uh, I played average level rugby because I was quite short and then I shot up a bit. Uh, I played tennis for the local club. I did loads and loads of stuff, <laughs> mostly around sport. Right. Uh, and by 16, drinking and partying. But it was that balance of trying to do as much as possible. And they taught you a lot of how to do that. I mean, it, um, it, was, it, it was, if you look back, there are some days at work that were easier than going to school. Right because it was just relentless yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Um, but you learn from that uh-huh. you know, we all good learn. work ethic yeah it was massively and if you if you didn't they would still give you a chance if it, as long as you worked hard if you were lazy it was tough I mean there were some kids which were really noisy who were lazy but still got four A's right okay they were geniuses yeah 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 but actually it's always those ones annoying just is that you <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately um, unfortunately but yeah it, it, it was it was tough yeah, yeah. and so um so you left that however 
I think you were looking towards being a chef. Is that yes. something that you identified early? Yes. But, yeah. So my gra- I only had one grandparent, and she was a survivor of the Holocaust. She was on one of the last kinder trains out of Austria. Wow. And uh, she was a wonderful cook, as was my mum. Yep. And my dad went to catering college. So I was always around food. From four years old, my favourite food was Chinese. Yep. Um, and still is. Um, but I was always around food. So I, th- I started cooking when I was about six, just helping my sister when she was doing Sunday roast. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Sieving the lumps out of my mum's gravy on a Sunday roast. And that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, by the age of about 14, 15, my parents split up. I started cooking at home a bit more. Okay. And and I got more and more passionate for yep. it. Um, I was always never afraid of trying new food. The only thing I don't like are raisins and raw tomatoes. Is that right? I'll have raw tomatoes in a burger, but just eating it like a fruit, I, I just can't do it. Um, it's but funny I was, though, I don't see too many people kicking around eating tomatoes raw. No, but people fruit. pop like little <laughs> cherry tomatoes. I can't do that. I just don't. I was like, oh. Um, but yeah, I think I always had a passion for that. And I love travel. I was fortunate enough with my family to travel, but also with sport. I played yeah. football in Barcelona, and we played in Paris. And obviously played water polo in Australia and New Zealand. So I, I'd had that sort of travel. I had a right. friend who was from Kenya, and I went to Kenya and Tanzania when I was like 13 without my parents. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to go around to see some amazing things. So I think travel and food were always very important to me. It's one of those great skills in the travel industry, isn't it? That you could literally pitch up anywhere and people are always in need of a cook or a good one yeah 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 so it's very transferable yes it is Um, and um, obviously when I chose the course I did at university I took a year off before I went to university uh, to see if I wanted to work and I ended up working in a restaurant in Canary in uh, Chancery Lane in the the city and um, started off as a two pound an hour waiter working about 70 hours a week and then by within two months I was assistant manager and running basically running it because okay. um, the manager uh, decided that I worked hard enough to just run it and at 19 that sort of gave me a good belief in that if you work hard you stay honest and transparent yep. actually you can do stuff um, and I was the youngest in that business by about five or six years that's amazing and so so I mean, hospitality seems to be a bit in your, well, largely in your DNA. Yeah. I, I, your your old man went to hotel school at, yeah. you know, in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. And um, even so, my grandma, as a single mum, opened a restaurant on the Finchley Road uh, when my dad was nine. Oh, is that right? Uh, so she opened a, v- a Viennese sort of cafe. Yep. Uh, called Montmartre. Uh-huh. So French Parisian feel with some Austrian food. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so it has been on my mum's side, it's Irish farmer's side, but weirdly they used to obviously have it in, you know, and, and, and so forth. So yeah, I guess it, I guess it is. Um, I think it's, I think hospitality is, in, in a true sense, is very much about welcoming people and, yep. and, and taking care of people. Yeah, yeah. That's why hospitality courses sometimes have people from hospitals or care homes or whatever because ultimately it's welcoming and then looking after people which is very much hospitality yep. and I think that's probably that's probably the most biggest part is I like helping people so is that because I mean you've, you've obviously you got a, a good leg up there when you were 19 you were yeah. saying that someone's obviously found a talent in you and believed in you yep. and thought you know what you can do this you can rise to it I mean you're Right now, looking at your profile and the, and um, the organisations that you run, but not only Anglo Educational um, yeah. Services, but 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 also in your um, you know digital agencies and, uh, where you've 
embraced interns and you've seen yep. them rise through the ranks. Yeah. Is that is that something that you feel like you're you're giving back, or or is it or is it just something that you you believe that uh, is needed to make the 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 industry grow? Yeah, I mean, I think I think my struggles in the last two years of school and also struggling to find a job when I was at university and an internship that matched my desires. I yeah. vowed to make sure that if I had the opportunity when I became a little older. Mm-hmm that I would give young people opportunities or people opportunities no matter what their age were nor what their demographic was um, if they had the right desire and the right attitude yep uh, and I think um, when I had the hotels you know 30% of our staff were, were students of some sort or former students or people I trained up whether it was a language school or an apprentice an intern from America an intern from Holland um, I like that learning environment okay. and I think that's why I don't have let's say bad memories of school because I, I was taught how to learn um, but one of the things that I struggled with was learning in a pure academic way when I did a hospitality degree a lot of it's very practical and yep. I learned things I did a whole marketing module that I analysed all the top brands wow. uh, back then it was 2001 and it's interesting a lot of the stuff I said weirdly came came at yeah, the true um but yeah i think i just think it's very important mm-hmm. it is it was harder to run hotels when you're yeah comes to a stream of young people coming through but the amount of ideas we got from it um really? and the pride when they go on to do amazing things either with you or with other businesses or create their own which has happened in holland a, a guy uh, who was an intern for me in holland called bart um from the master hotel school he, when he started working in Brighton, said, oh, yeah, well, I can run this coffee shop, this cafe. I said, well, it's not finished yet. You paint it, and then you can we'll think yeah. about it. And he painted. He started painting, and he wow. complained to the university. And he said, there's method to, Stephen's, to Steve's madness. Right. And he now has the biggest equivalent of Groupon in the Benelux called Social Deal. And right. he's got 125 staff. I went to see him in his office about this time last year. It was like this huge office. Fantastic. And I'm so, generally so, so proud. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. If we had a 1% impact on him making that decision, yeah. I think we've done the right job. And I think because of the diversity of hospitality, every manager, every owner has that opportunity to inspire people to do something different because there's very few industries where you spend so much time particularly with modern technology mm. with other people yeah you're constantly with other people so if you're not training and supporting and development and, and retaining and, and pushing in the right way then i think you're missing a trip because your your business everyone's worried about sustainability when it comes to electricity and gas and waste no one's thinking about sustainability of recruitment agencies and constantly re-employing people and constantly training people yep. and the pain and effort that you have to do that and if you can actually set up a more long-term plan I think the benefits are, are huge whether they stay with you or not you're helping yeah, yeah, the industry okay that's a great attitude and you sort of take that on into your work that when when hotels have become clients yourselves in term in terms of uh, championing the underdog so the independent hotels to be able to compete against the the big boys yeah I think so I mean I think um, there's also some some of the brands within the big brands are pretty cool too. Yeah. Uh, Moxie with Marriott, I think, is, I stayed in one in Minneapolis and I, it was just wicked. They had a Fender guitar on the wall in the room right, wow. that you could play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't play any guitar, but I picked up the guitar. Uh-huh. I thought I could, and that was after a 15 hour flight. Yep. So, but yeah, I think the um, innovative thought process that a lot of these boutique hotel people go through 
independent small guest houses I mean obviously you live in Brighton there's some amazing little guest houses there that mm. are just they're just so quirky and fun and different you couldn't do in a brand yeah. um, and yeah I think you know if you're not going to beat an OTA but you can have a fair share of your own business I think you can feel very comfortable that you have a nice balanced market mix you'll have it in, with with um, with Dicture that you want some people who you met at a trade show some people that are referrals some people word of mouth and I think because of the financial crisis so many people panicked cut, cut away their marketing cut away their training booking.com is the necessary evil you give it to them if you don't sell the room it doesn't cost you anything if you do yep. you get billed 30 days later oh it's all okay but the problem is they're no longer your customer yeah. and I think as long as independent hotels believe in independent hotels and themselves they can have a fair share of their market um, and I also think sometimes the, the experience which I particularly like where it's more personalised and you feel like you're going to someone's home and some brands do it very well but more often or not when you go to an independent probably at the higher end you just get just a wonderful experience yeah. from start to finish uh-huh. not often, always a website but actually the whole hospitality experience yes. If you don't get that right, it's no point even having a nice website because ultimately it's a whole process from yep. searching on Google to checking out and being looked after. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a whole process. And that's from one star to five star, from a hostel to a service apartment. So does, does the emergence and the rapid change of technology, does that start opening up the gap between chains and, and independence? I mean... Um, the chains who might have a bit more money to, to take risk compared to an independent in adopting various things. What's what's the? I mean, you see, you said you see some independents doing some awesome things. However, what do you think the appetite is to, for an independent to keep up with new technological trends as opposed to a chain? I think. I mean, I think the chains are great people, to, and I've I've always said it to students: look at what they do and see how you can improve it because yeah. they do have the money. However, because of the franchise nature of the big brands and the volume of brands within the brands, there's no brand that's consistently going out and and smashing it because by the time they've implemented something, particularly if it's a physical technology implement in a hotel, by the time they've rolled it out across the world, there's a new thing that's come about. So if, if they wanted to get Alexa in every single room in a brand, by the time that's done, Alexa will be something else. Yep. Whereas an independent hotel can trial it out in a couple of rooms and see if it works. Oh, Merritt's had this great idea. Mm. Let's try it and let's put it in our room and try it. Um, I also think you shouldn't install technology for technology's sake. It's, yeah. Technology should be, there, should be there to make your life easier. Um, and and I, An iPhone or smartphone has made my life easier. When I used to have the hotel in Brighton and London, I commuted between the two and I had a dongle in my laptop. It took me half an hour to get my emails through, another half an hour to get them out my outbox, and I was in Brighton. Whereas now, you you are live, rightly or wrongly. I mean, there's there's some negative impacts of being hyper-connected, but actually there's enough free, simple technology bits and pieces that small hotels can install that just makes life easier for the guest Mm -hmm. or the the, the hotel. And I think that's what it should be, not... Oh, Mara's got an Alexa. Let's put it in the room. Yeah, yeah. What does it connect to? Oh, absolutely nothing. Uh, which is what a lot of hotels have done in the, the past. The pains. Yeah, yeah, they're just. Yeah. So, so tell me um, how you came about setting up Umi Hotels. How did how did how did you get your first hotel? So I was running a, a hostel near here, 
Yep. Uh, and uh, the 2000... Just, just, for, just for the audience, we're in Marble Arch at the moment. We're in Marble Arch, sorry. Yeah, we're in Marble Arch <laughs> in a bar. Uh, and the noise in the background is someone chopping what I believe is lemons. <laughs> just in case you're interested. Yeah, just have a squeeze. Thank yeah. you. Cheers. Um, so, yeah, it's running a 500-bedded backpackers hostel. It was summer of 2005. Um, Liverpool won the Champions League big thing met my wife the, that winter but in the summer London got the chance to host the Olympics in 2012 and we also had the terrorist attacks on the tube when the t- and it was all within 24 hours the terrorist attacks on the tube meant that you could get a 99 pound room at the Dorchester because right. no one came yeah. to London it wasn't the first attacks it was a second attempted attacks people fled the hostel was full okay. and what that inspired me was that a hotel with the elements of a hostel as in community young people working there great vibe good coffee which yeah. I learned from Australia from living there um, actually I think you could do really well mm-hmm. and that was it and then there was an opportunity for a hotel in Bayswater that was stagnant for four or five years at the time it wasn't OTAs it was actually travel trade right. predominant so the cash flow was terrible everyone paid 90 days after after yeah. the stayed and then went in and it took me 18 months to change the, the culture of the hotel, to install the brand, to come up with a name, get the website ready. And, uh, and then we did it and then it took about six months and then it really started kicking in and, and not only from a staff, but a guest perspective was Umi people. So um, I, I had a, a staff handbook, which was called Umi, a way of thinking. And it was putting the customer first. We will get complaints. It's an old Victorian building, but we deal with them if people are waiting to come to see me they sit in the coffee shop ask yeah. if they want a tea or coffee anyone can make so we train everyone receptionists reservation team everyone can make a really good coffee yeah. so it felt like you go to someone's house um, and at its peak we would generate about 40% of our business direct wow. um, which was I didn't quite realise at the time how amazing that stat would be mm-hmm. but it was wicked um, and just just a real ragtag bunch of people who really came together as a family and, and it did yeah did really really well for a while and so um how did moscow come about that was uh, that was inappropriate so moscow and then a, a gun firing <laughs> in the background it was actually champagne um, <laughs> ah! <laughs> um i had a mate from school um who i hadn't seen for about nine years yeah and he contacted me through Facebook saying, look, I'm, me and a couple of guys in Moscow are setting up a hotel. We have no idea what we're doing. We really don't know what you do with you. We do you want to come over and give us a bit of advice. So I thought, all right. Why not? Yeah. So I went over for 24 hours, um, dressed classic Brit or Aussie, turning up in a jacket, and it's actually minus 25. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was, I was really unsure about it. And to be honest, I was picked up by this banged out old larder at four in the morning and we drove around this corner and saw Red Square covered in snow lit up and I was like wow this yeah. is just incredible yeah, yeah. And it was only 10 minutes from Red Square what year was this? 2009 so it was right. just as Russia was reopening up uh-huh. um, but yeah within six months seven months we'd agreed a bit of a franchise agreement we opened there uh, built my own booking engine software off the back of that uh, which we launched the next summer and um, yeah, it was it was fun for a while. I mean, obviously the political situation there now means and Umi Hotels is no more. But um, it was difficult the last couple of years for was them, it? yeah, for the owners, just because 
it's less attractive for people to go there now, uh -huh. just for the political. But it was there, there was three or four years where it was really open, really fun. I mean, awesome night out, like really? just loads of fun. Uh, yeah, and in the been. summer, you know, very warm. Like people don't realise it. it's like a warm place. Yeah. Um, met some amazing people there too. Um, the Russians are not as unfriendly as people portray them. They're just just very direct. And uh, once you get to know people, they're very open, and it's a lot of fun. Fantastic, man. So tell me, tell me, a, tell me a hotelier's war story. A couple of war stories out of there, uh, because we, we always hear the the lovely. Uh, I mean, the, we we see on TripAdvisor the the complaints that come in on yep. TripAdvisor. Um, there's some might be right, and some might be a little bit wrong, and there might be some exaggeration to make a point uh, on TripAdvisor. But the the attitude of the hotel industry is obviously correct. Be the customer is right. Let's treat that with. Uh, with yeah. respect but there must be some times where you go you know what really that was well I had one complaint when before we changed it to Umi London it was the Westminster Hotel and someone complained about another type of hotel another brand of hotel that it was only a 10 minute walk from Westminster we were in Notting Hill <laughs> so it, it was so obviously not our hotel yeah, yeah, yeah. and it wasn't a competitor it was just an idiot choosing the wrong hotel okay. uh, but TripAdvisor wouldn't take it down and that was when you couldn't respond as a hotelier right there was also a fairly famous hotel in Brighton that the managers obviously had enough uh, of all the complaints. And I've still got it somewhere at, at the office. I've, he just let the guest have it. <laughs> like, no holds bars. It was amazing. Like, this is how you do not respond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to only spend £30 a night in a hotel room, you don't deserve to stay in the hotel. <laughs> you're only, which means I can only offer £1 for breakfast. That's why your sausages <laughs> taste like shit. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> This is uh, Hotels on Covers. This is, this is funny. At the hotel in London, the boiler engineers came out on a Friday afternoon, really hot, 28 degrees, wired up the hot tanks wrong, and rather than stopping at 80 degrees, went over boiling point. Uh, our intern was in the room underneath the hot tank, so there's a lot of steam. I went in, and the ceiling collapsed. But being Steve, I uh, caught the ceiling and waited there for the fire brigade to arrive 10 minutes later. So that was, yeah. That was interesting. Mate, so um, so on a day-to-day -day level, it must really help you because because of the involvement that you have in the industry now, right from the uh, right from the level of standing in a boiler room to uh, you know to being at the, the, the top of a digital agency that helps other hoteliers yeah. to really get and understand the pains of various hoteliers yeah. that they're facing. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm very empathetic to the hotel manager because it, it is. It is it's an amazing rewarding job, whatever level. I mean, I only really managed uh, budget level in hotels, hostel and, and three star. Yeah. The restaurant, well, I wouldn't say it was Michelin star, but at the time it was a fairly cutting edge French restaurant. But yeah, you know, some of the hotel clients we have, uh, the Stafford is an example, you know, what they deliver there service wise, it's led by the manager and it's, it's very inspiring yep. to see. And I'm very empathetic of, you know, they do, you do get caught up in the middle of the night and you do have to deal with good guests and bad guests and high demanding guests and low demanding guests um, but the consistency of service and to deliver it is, is such a challenge and there's a lot of amazing hotel groups out there that really have they work so hard at that and yeah. that I respect massively if we can impart things that we've seen in other hotels to other hotels when I travel on leisure I try and pick up ideas I always yeah. am very inquisitive um, what's what's 
what's your favorite hotel experience do you have a do you have yeah. a hotel which is your absolute yeah, so go-to a, your the, favorite the sandpiper hotel in barbados where i went with my wife on our honeymoon right. um the staff are amazing yep uh you generally feel like you're going home i'd been there before but they treated us it was like a child returning home yeah and it was just two weeks of utter bliss there's if i wanted to go for local food i knew where to go but they were like oh you know this is wicked that you're going for local food they sorted out us going to the local races and going to fish markets and you know it was just it was everything was was amazing um it was comfortable it was clean it, all local people employed uh, a couple of the senior managers were from abroad but they were all very respectful of the whole community yeah. aspect there and um when it comes to hospitality service amazing cocktails oh really <laughs> uh-huh. um and they've got a bar there uh, the main barman apart from being a liverpool supporter <laughs> generally that nice helps. guy okay we get to uh, the yeah. crux of it now <laughs> but he, you know just you know um they just really care and, and they care every little bit every little detail they really care about i think that that's the one place that if if I had one more trip to do and that was it, that's that's where I'd go. So so and that's a good point really because at the end of the day, in any business, in any industry, quite often the owners uh, care about the business the most. It's very hard to build a culture yeah. where everyone cares about the business as much as you do. What what is the you know, talking about the sandpiper there in Barbados the gap between bad and good is often wider than good to great. Yes. So what's 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 the difference? Do you look at that and go, you know what, there's lots of hotels that could be doing exactly the same if they just changed a little bit or if they just got something that no one else can attain? Or what's well, the, what's they, the have, they have the most incredible view of a sunset and a beach and a yeah. beach ball, which, you know, you, you're not going to get in, a, in Edgware Road. Yes. But ultimately, I think a lot of it is people focusing on old school hospitality mm-hmm. because it's so rare now. If you want a functional hotel, not mentioning any brands, you know where to go. Yeah, yeah. it's $59.99 to $199.99. You get what you get, you buy it online, you get in and out as quickly as possible. If you're going for an experience, that is still true hospitality from 100 years ago. Nothing has changed. People want to be cared for. People want to be looked after. There may be some luxurious things that, like spas or Wi-Fi or, you know, the, um, the Sandpiper, they only installed TVs in the rooms about a year or two years ago. Because people are going there for a luxury holiday. They yeah. had a TV room, very old school, but right. no one complained that there was no TV. Because yeah. they weren't watching. You don't watch the TV. Yeah. So there's Wi-Fi. If you want to really watch the news, you watch on your phone mm-hmm. or your laptop. So... I think it's just people going back to old school. You know, a lot of these uh, hotels in Mayfair, the ones that do really well, the ones, you know, Red Carnations are wonderful. It's very old school, mm. but it's great and people love it because that's what they're buying into. And yeah. I think the uh, era of uh, James Warman talks about it when we had that HMA event. It's this uh, experience over stuff. I think that's what hotels have to focus on. Yep. And actually, that's what hostels used to do amazingly well, mm. and some have become too corporate. but. You know, you would have stayed in a few hostels. The experience was amazing. I mean, the rooms weren't great. Aussie in a hostel, what are you talking about? Yeah. Never been there. How, how did they live? <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? It was like, and the Australians actually invented the modern hostel. Yeah. And wake up where I worked in Sydney was just incredible. It was just like the most incredible experience for four weeks when I lived there. That's what they need to do. And it mm. should be at any level. Yeah. Um, 
and I think sometimes people get into hotels for the wrong reason it's not a quick buck it is hard work but if you can consistently de de uh, deliver amazing experiences whether they're in the coffee shop in the spa or the check-in or the check-out yep. then I think that's where you go from really good to great and consistently great and I think that's where you know Ray Carnation is a, a local one here stuff I believe they do that a number of others where they really focus on that that last bit it's a, you've done a marathon it's actually it's not the 90% it's actually that last 10% to just get you over the line 25% mate, 25% oh, okay <laughs> should have done a bit more training yeah. <laughs> but yeah no, Brighton no, Marathon it. Yeah, you know, it, it was just it. that last it, like the last 10 well, yeah. 7 miles it's just so tough but actually that's the bit where, where you win that's where loads of people yeah. give up and I think with the hotels it's very similar a lot of people give up just when they're they're at the precipice because it's been such hard work to get there and then oh well you know we're there and I think that's where hotels can, can improve I imagine it's quite hard particularly as independent club owner, um, club owner hotel owners that you what are you thinking about I'm still <laughs> thinking about a hostel nightclub yeah, clubbing, night clubbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly um from an independent hotel owner's perspective is that you get so in the business that quite often it's hard to see from yeah. a from a broader perspective, okay, what can we sh shape to, to really make a, a change in the business because you're living in every nook and yeah. cranny of the of the hotel. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, it, it is difficult. I mean, I, uh, since I became the CEO of Anglo, I've been very operationally involved and we do quite a bit of rate management until the new uh, revenue manager started a, a few months ago. Yeah, yeah get involved with operations a lot and you know I sat with uh, Kieran from uh, the Ritz who's the CEO there and he said Steve just a bit of advice if you are the CEO you have to make sure you withdraw yourself step back and, and really look at things strategically short term but also long term because if you're only looking year by year you never really grow and something I've really it's really resonated with me and it's something I try and focus on when you're the general manager of a hotel um, it if you get a bad review, if you get lots of bad reviews, eventually you don't notice them. But yep. if you get a bad review, you should take it personally and you should deal with it. But you still have to focus on the bigger picture of where you're going to get to. And I think a lot of hotels only have year budgets, not three-year plans. Yeah. And I think that's something that's very important because that keeps you focused on the longer mm -hmm. term. With Anglo, we're going to open in Manchester in 2020. And even through the short-term stuff I had to do, I still focus on Manchester yep. as a long-term goal. I wanted to get some properties in Hoxton which we're hopefully going to get but that was whilst dealing with the, the operational stuff yeah, so yeah. it's still trying to keep that long-term focus which I think what well, something that you've done in your own business is you're going to get the teething problems along the way but where do we want to get to and we're just going to keep working and, and get to the end of the marathon finish line because otherwise you don't and then then you decide whether you want to do another marathon again <laughs> yeah, uh, which in my case was zero <laughs> I don't want to but I'll do another right, challenge you're doing a few marathons at the same time yeah I'm trying yeah. so tell me tell me a little bit about Anglo Educational as a, as a business oh, so we it's been going 45 years I was made CEO in April uh, we look after over three and a half thousand American students a year in London we have 275 apartments which converts into about one and a half thousand beds we do internships so we place interns for educational based internships across London that's about 300 students a year and we also do 90 to 100 educational short-term programs around Europe based around a theme with the faculty from America so hospitality graduate will take them to the, 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 the guts of the Ritz or yep. sports we do stuff around the Olympic Stadium and we, we make it very very interactive um, 
We're growing, which is exciting. We work with 120 US universities and we are looking now at Southeast Asia and China in terms of our next markets. Uh, and we've done a partnership with the Class of 92 up in Manchester. They're opening a university called UA92, which is a sports-based university near Old Trafford. Um, and we're the official US study abroad providers for wow. that, which is exciting. So they launch in September next year and we're going to launch on the back of that in uh, January 2020. So. Uh, lots Fantastic. going on and we have yeah. about 120 staff so you'd be sort of um, I mean that's a massive operation but you'd be you'd be in a unique position at the moment because students as you were saying before yeah. you know the young people are quite at the forefront even though they quite often get discredited but yeah in terms of their view of the future so yes. so, what, so so what are you hearing back from them in terms of their regards to brexit for example I mean uh, uh, from, a, from a European perspective, I suppose the US aren't too fast with the no, they're not businesses. Too, yeah, they've got their own problems with Trump. But, you know, I think I, I lecture at hotel schools in Europe mm. and been to Lausanne and Maastricht recently. And in many ways, I'm embarrassed. You know, I have a Swedish wife, a Czech and Austrian grandparents on my dad's side, Irish on the other. Yeah. You know, I'm a family of immigrants. So, mm. and the UK was built on immigra immigration. And that's the main reason why... I believe Brexit happens, um, or the vote happened. It may or may not still happen. I, that's a completely different podcast. Yeah, yeah, well, let's yeah. just see. Um, <laughs> but I think I think podcast I think, too. Yeah, I mean Lausanne. There was very few of the students who actually wanted to work in hotels. Maastricht, a lot more so. A lot around luxury, a lot around boutique. Yeah. The Hague was the same. They didn't want to work in branded, but they wanted to work in luxury boutique mm -hmm. hotels. That was their dream to open their own one. Brighton numbers are dwindling a bit and I think in the UK generally hospitality education is dwindling right. um, I, I think the industry has to work so much harder to make the industry appeal mm -hmm. Harry as an example who's now the MD at Umi Digital you know he was doing international business at Bath and he's basically running a well he's running a, a digital marketing agency working with 80 hotels in, in the uk europe and africa at the age of 26 yeah. there's huge career prospects yeah, yeah, within this industry or around it uh -huh. i just don't think we do very well with it right. and um the hours are difficult um the pay is difficult and i think again look at that long-term thing i don't think people really look at the full length of someone's ability uh -huh. youth travel delivers more benefit to the UK economy than luxury travel but the tourist board will focus on luxury travel yes, because it gives you short-term benefit yep. but if you don't get the Chinese student you're not going to get the Chinese parent who's going to spend £100,000 on Bond Street the Aussies are the prime example of completely understanding the long-term value of a youth traveller and I think it's the same with students within the hotels you just need to think long-term yep. about how they benefit the business I mean just a final question before we wrap up and um I just want you to imagine the industry as a hotel. You're going to roll out the red carpet for something that's in the industry that's going to really positively affect it in the next couple of years. What yep. would it be? I think the issues around Brexit have made the industry realise how reliant we are on people again. No people, no hotel. Mm. And I believe in the next couple of years, and I hope over the next couple of years, rather than moaning like hotels did when TripAdvisor started or when Booking.com started, is this is a wake-up call for every hotel to realise that training is important, that having an apprenticeship scheme and an internship scheme, and I think rolling the red carpet out for 
hotels to re-engage with education, with training, with HR, with really focusing on, on, on their people yep. will be the big thing for the next two years from, a, from an old school hospitality perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From a technology perspective, I think once people get their head around AI, I think particularly for back of house consumer data and crunching it, uh, it will be it will be incredible and I think it will help hotels of all sizes to really um, develop amazing strategies that are very unique for themselves yeah. but it's going to take a lot longer than people think for AI to trickle down to smaller hotels. So just finally what do you think we should pull the shutters down on? What, what, what's a bugbear in the industry that we keep talking about but we really should wrap up? Paying, paying for Wi-Fi and paying for TV. Right. What's the point when people can just you know, it's just pointless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just crazy. Uh, and if you're going to do F and B, do it properly, or just don't just use delivery or something else. Just if you're going to do it, just do it properly. That's the the biggest thing. But yeah, I think these old bulky TVs where it's it's paid for TV. I think and and, and the Wi-Fi side is for young people. And I say anyone under the age of a hundred. Anyone has a smartphone, Wi-Fi is as important as a comfy bed in hot water. Yeah. So just make sure it's free and easy to use and not, you know, super slow. Mate, you've been absolutely gold, Steve. Thank you. Yeah. I know you've got a hotel marketing association meeting that you've got to chair in about one minute. 30 <laughs> so, seconds. 30 seconds. <laughs> so, mate, I'm going to let you go, but I, could, you I could sit and speak to you for a forever right. and I very probably kind. will after yeah. your meeting <laughs> um, but uh, thanks very much for coming on Views from the Deck Chat Cheers thank Cheers. you very much Steve. thank Good you bye bye